I'm going to uh, follow through on some of the themes that I, I talked about last week in our, in our Sunday uh, meeting. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, mindfulness today and what mindfulness is. Kind of ask, asking this question, which is a question that we're always asking, uh, actually, what is mindfulness? What is mindfulness? I remember uh, teaching uh, over on 14th Street in New York many years ago. This is probably maybe a little less than 20 years ago, and uh, it was a gathering much like this gathering, other than the fact that it was live. Uh, and we were sitting in our studio, uh, and I was using the word mindfulness, and I can't quite remember the context, uh, but somebody who was a regular student, you know, raised her hand and said, what is mindfulness? You know, uh, you know and this was somebody who had been around for a while and uh, kind of caught me by surprise when she asked that question. Uh, it's, it's, it, it can really be a, a challenging question. Uh, so I kind of stumbled and bumbled and tried to answer the question as best I could. And, uh, and then we had a discussion about it. And, uh, you know, the upshot of the discussion was we, we kind of decided that for the next few months we would, we would, we would, this would be our theme in the class and we would explore this question of what is mindfulness? What is mindfulness? Now, that, that little story might speak to our, uh, our, our lack of uh, wisdom, uh, perhaps, in terms of what mindfulness is. Uh, maybe to some extent it, it, it does, of course, but really what it speaks to is the complexity of what mindfulness is. The complexity of what mindfulness is. And that mindfulness, although the word gets bandied about a lot, and you know, you can take a, you can take a, you know, a, a, you know, well, you can take a course to be a mindfulness teacher or whatever, you know, ostensibly you know what mindfulness is, but, you know, the Buddha said that you shouldn't underestimate the profundity of mindfulness and how deep it is. Uh, he used the metaphor of, he said, if you had four people who, uh, who were you know, experienced students and uh, for a hundred years they, they, they talked to the Buddha, they talked to him about what mindfulness is, even after a hundred years, they wouldn't have exhausted the subject. There'd still be more to learn there'd still be more to learn. So, uh, you know, I, you know this, could, this could seem a little daunting, but to me it you know, just speaks to uh, how interesting the topic is, how deep the topic is of what mindfulness is. And, uh, you, know, it, 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 you know, it inspires me to continue to learn and to continue to grow. Uh, and I'm continually learning you know, uh, I think just, you know, and again, that kind of spurs me to, to give a talk on just this subject because, uh, you know, I see how I'm continuing and, and I'm excited about how I'm continuing to grow in my understanding of what mindfulness is. Now, yeah, I think it's important uh, uh, at the risk of being uh, divisive, and that really isn't the purpose here, uh, 
to to understand that there's really kind of two mindfulnesses, and I think you know this is a fair way of putting this. There's sort of mindfulness, the way that it's taught in a contemporary setting, and you know the aforementioned courses that you can take about mindfulness and and you know and and different ways that mindfulness is taught in different settings. It's really quite different than the mindfulness that the Buddha taught. Uh, uh, you know, often this mindfulness is sort of uh, this quality of just being open uh, in your awareness in terms of what's arising in your field of experience. I mean, really the definition uh, that you can find in the dictionary, uh, I think this is the same definition I used in, in my, my book on skillful pleasure of mindfulness is one that kind of speaks to what uh, this one kind of mindfulness that's that's practiced largely and taught largely uh, uh, amounts to. And the dictionary says the practice of ma- mindfulness, the practice of maintaining a non-judgmental state of heightened or complete awareness of one's thoughts, emotions, or experience on a moment-to-moment basis. So the practice of maintaining a non-judgmental state of heightened or complete awareness of one's thoughts, emotions, or experience is on a moment-to-moment basis. So it's really quite different than uh, the Buddha's definition of mindfulness. And it doesn't it doesn't mean that it's wrong or it's bad, you know, or anything like that. Uh, I mean, I think there's a great uh, a great benefit in in uh, or there is a benefit in in the contemporary form of mindfulness, and it certainly helped a lot of people uh, in their lives and to be more awake. Uh, but it's important also, you know, having said that, to understand that the Buddha's mindfulness is, is fairly different than that. Uh, when the Buddha talks about mindfulness, sati, uh, it's really quite a simple definition. Mindfulness means to put the mind on an object and to keep it there to put the mind on an object and to keep it there. So it's quite different than sort of this open awareness of whatever might be arising in your field of experience. Uh, Here, we're very proactively putting the mind on an object and proactively making an effort to keep the mind on the object, such as the breath, such as the breath. So mindfulness is the act or process of putting the mind on an object such as the breath, such as we did in this meditation, to put the mind on the breath and to keep it there. So it's proactive. It's something that you're doing. It's a decision that you're making, right? It's a decision that you're making, a conscious decision that you're making to put the mind somewhere, to put the mind somewhere. So how do you, how does that manifest? What does that look like? How do you put the mind? I mean, first you have to make a decision. I'm going to put the mind on the breath, right? And then you have to put it there. How do you do that? What's the the mechanism of mindfulness uh, that enables you to put the mind on the breath? Uh, That's directed thought, vitaka. So so these things are like super important to understand. You know, I mean, it may seem a little dry, uh, but it's, it's, it's extremely important to understand. It's like if you want to be a good car mechanic, you need to understand all the different pieces of, of the engine, right? You know, we just want to drive, you know? 
Uh, and you know, that's fine if you're just a driver, but if you want to be a meditator, you need to, and you really want to develop your skill, you really need to understand how it works. So we practice mindfulness, the mechanism by which we put the mind on an object is directed thought. Uh, so, and that really kind of means what it says it means, what it says. You use thought to direct your attention to the object and to keep the attention on the object. So it's just like we go through in the meditation. Be mindful of the breath. Mindful. Stay with the breath. Uh, maybe using an image. You know, research shows that the capacity of the mind to stay focused on an object is really quite limited. A few seconds, right? And then the mind will wander off, right? So if you want to keep the mind on the breath, we have to keep using directed thought up until a certain point when the mind, through its training, will stay there. Uh, but you know that's really quite a, a higher level of concentration. Uh, so we have to make this effort to use directed thought to keep the mind on the breath. In meditation, that's really where the effort goes, right? The effort goes into generating directed thought in the service of keeping the mind on the object. So uh, mindfulness is keeping something in mind, keeping the breath in mind. It's, it's akin to remembering, right? We talk about this a lot. It's remembering. We're remembering the breath. I'm remembering the breath. It's just like I said in the sitting. You know, if you had to, uh, you know, if you were going to come to the class today, you had to remember, you had to remind yourself every now and again, I'm coming to the class, I'm coming to the class. If you didn't remind yourself, you would never have made it to the class. Today it was even a little more complex because, you know, the time frames are different, right? So uh, you had to remember that too. Uh, but in order to get to the class, you had to remind yourself at different intervals to, to come to the class. It's the same thing with the breath, right? We're reminding ourselves to stay with the breath. We're remembering the breath. So uh, these things are very important to understand. You know, when I first learned mindfulness, uh, and, you know, and again, I, you know, the understanding develops over time and, you know, the understanding that I had or that I was offered maybe wasn't uh, uh, so, uh, so accurate. Uh, you know, what they would often say is, it's not that hard to be mindful, which I would disagree with, uh, and, but they would say, but it's hard to remember to be mindful, which, you know, really kind of speaks to a misunderstanding about what mindfulness is, because mindfulness is remembering, is remembering. So, you know, the process of being mindful is a process of remembering. Once you understand that, then you say, well, how do I remember something? How am I going to keep the mind on the breath? How am I going to keep the mind on the breath? Well, I have to remember the breath. How do I remember the breath? Well, you use directed thought. Now, the Buddha's mindfulness isn't just, you know, mindfulness. It's right mindfulness, satipatthana. So the Buddha doesn't say, you know, there's just mindful. He's not interested in just mindfulness. Uh, he's interested in what he teaches is right mindfulness. Because you could be mindful of a lot of things, right? I mean, I could be mindful of the mug. You know, I could be mindful of the bell. 
I could be mindful of the wall. I could be mindful of the background noise that I'm hearing. Uh, uh, there's lots of things that you could be mindful of. In practicing mindfulness, the Buddha says there's certain specific things. This is the instructions for mindfulness. This is what mindfulness is within the confines of what the Buddha taught, right? Mindfulness, satipatthana, what the instructions are is there's certain places to put the mind. There's certain places that you want to put the mind. There's certain things that you want to keep the mind on. Uh, in an effort to find freedom from your suffering and find true happiness. In an effort to find freedom from suffering and find true happiness, there's certain places where you want to put the mind. So these are the four foundations or the four establishings of mindfulness. And of course, the first foundation of mindfulness is the body, and that begins with the breath. And in right mindfulness, in Satipatthana, mindfulness of breathing, the breath is always there and always kept in mind as sort of an anchor and a center point. Right? So uh, we're, there's always some mindfulness of the breath, body, as a way of maintaining us in the present moment. And then from there, we can be aware of the other mindfulnesses, which are the experiences of the body, the experiences of the mind, and understanding and looking at and being mindful of uh, the ways in which uh, you know we cause ourselves suffering uh, uh, by holding on to the experiences of the body and the mind and relating to them in an unskillful way, but it all uh, is foundation is founded uh, in the mindfulness of the breath, uh, the body as our as our as our home. So. Uh, Many of you are familiar with the story of the hawk and the quail, uh, where you know, which is a beautiful analogy that the Buddha uses to uh, to describe the importance of staying within the foundations of mindfulness, beginning with the breath and the body. Uh, you know, the story of is you know, there's a quail that lives in a field of big clumps of turned over dirt, and that's the quail's home. And in that home, the quail is safe from predators, such as the hawk. So if predators come, the quail can hide behind the clumps of dirt and she's safe. Uh, and one day, you know, the quail says, you know, I think I'm just going to wander outside of this field of clumped up dirt. I'll be okay. You know, I'll be okay. And uh, so she wanders outside the field. And sure enough, a hawk sees her, swoops down, grabs her, carries her off for, 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 his, for his day's meal. And the quail laments, ah, I should have stayed in my field of clumped up dirt. If I had, I would have been okay. And the quail goes, ah, that's not true. I would have got you anyway. I'm going to show you. The quail swoops down, deposits, the hawk swoops down, deposits the quail in the field of clumped up dirt, circles a few times and then swoops back down after the quail. The quail sees the hawk coming, hides behind the clump of dirt. The hawk smashes into the dirt and dies. You know? And the moral of the story the Buddha tells us is don't wander outside of your proper territory. You know, the proper territory being the four foundations of mindfulness, the places where you're meant to keep your mind, and that begins with the body and the breath. If you wander outside, you're in trouble. You're going, to be, you're going to fall prey 
to the hawk and other predators. You're going to be in a dangerous place. If you can keep the mind on the body, using the breath as your anchor, you'll be okay. So this is right mindfulness. You know, uh, we keep the mind on the body, on the breath, those other objects we bring mindfulness to, because in doing so, this will lead us away from suffering and true happy and to true happiness. So this is why we do this. So we're putting the mind, we're consciously putting the mind on the breath and on the body. That's mindfulness. Uh, it's something that we do, uh, but it's something that we do consciously guided by a sense of purpose, guided by a sense of purpose. So we're putting the mind on the breath, we're guiding our attention to the breath and the body and the other objects because this will lead us away from suffering. This is something we're doing. Our sense of purpose is informed by compassion, our wish to be free from suffering. Our sense of purpose is informed by metta, loving kindness, our wish to be happy. So mindfulness is purposeful. So these are the two, two, two ways that we like to describe mindfulness, the Buddha's mindfulness. It's, it's proactive. We're making a conscious decision to put our mind somewhere. I mean, this is really important. This may seem trite or trivial. I mean, I hope it doesn't, but uh, it's like what you do with your mind is important. You know, what you do with your mind is important. We don't take the mind seriously enough. We, we let the mind wander outside of its proper territory. And then we wonder why we're suffering. You know, we're like the quail that, you know, is never in the field of clumped up dirt. You know, what we do with our minds is the most important thing in our lives, but we're not, you know, and you know, we, we, all, we all are uh, victims of this because we haven't been taught. Uh, you know, we're all learning, we're all developing our understanding, you know? Uh, but, you know, what we do with the mind is really important. What we do with the mind is, I mean, the, the, the Buddha said, that's what's going to determine your happiness in this life, is what you do with the mind. Now, thankfully, he tells us what to do with it. Yeah? And, but this is something, you know, because it's so important, you have to be very proactive in taking good care of the mind. We talked about this last week, looking after the mind. Am I going to let my mind wander outside of its proper territory? Yeah. Am I going to let my quails wander outside of their field? It's like if you had a child, you wouldn't let your child wander into traffic, right? But we let our minds go into all these places, dare I say, that aren't good for it. You don't have to do that. You know, that's part of the understanding of mindfulness. It's like you have control over your mind or you're learning to develop control over your mind. You're learning to train your mind. It's never going to be perfect, but you know you can learn to train your mind to an extent that you can cut down appreciably on your suffering, which means you know you can begin to get more into the heart and you can live more from the heart and make decisions in life based on compassion and loving kindness and relate to others in the world with more compassion and loving kindness. You know, if we can be more skillful in terms of what we do with the mind. If we don't, if we let the mind wander outside of its proper territory, we're going to suffer, you know, which means the heart is going to be blocked off. And we're not going to be able to live from the heart out of love for ourselves and others. 
you know. So this is why you keep the mind on the breath. This is why you keep the mind on the breath. You do it out of love for yourself and others so that you can make the most of your life and live your life with love and with compassion. So mindfulness is purposeful. It's proactive. We're proactively training ourselves through conscious intention, directed thought, to put the mind in the right places. The Buddha gives us the map. These are the places to put it. It starts with the breath. We're proactively doing that. And we're doing it guided by a sense of purpose. So we're remembering. You know, mindfulness is about remembering. It's about remembering where we want to keep the mind, remembering to keep the mind there, and remembering why we're keeping the mind there, remembering why we're keeping the mind on the breath. So this is something that's really important. Uh, you know, if you're practicing breath meditation, you know, and you're trying to keep the mind on the breath, you have to remember why you're doing that. You have to remember why you're doing that. And it's very easy to forget. It's very easy to forget that you're doing that out of compassion and loving kindness for yourself, you know? And some thought arises about what you're going to watch on TV after the sitting, you know? And, uh, you know, and, and all of a sudden you forget that you're staying with the breath out of compassion and love, and it's a path that's going to lead you to a greater happiness in your life. So, so how do you remember? Well, it's the same thing. You have to use conscious intention, you know, to remember why you're keeping the mind on the breath. And people ask me this question all the time. You know, I was working with somebody a few days ago who's a very experienced student, and they said, you know, well, does this mean I have to remind myself during the meditation why I'm meditating? Yes. How else are you going to remember? You know? So as you're meditating, every now and again, you remind yourself, I'm doing this because this is a path that leads to the end of suffering. I'm doing this out of compassion for myself because I want less suffering in my life. I want to live my life with an open heart. So you're touching into that intention and that sense of purpose as you're meditating. You have to do that. You have to do that. Now, most of the focus, of course, is on the breath. Now, now, and also, you know, that understanding of that sense of purpose grows over time as you practice and you realize, yeah, this is true. This path does lead me to the end of suffering and leads me to a greater happiness and lets me live my life with more love and compassion and more joy. You know, but the only way you're going to really understand that is you've got to start doing it. You know, you've got to operate on faith at first. You know, let me start keeping my mind on the breath because the, the teaching says that will lead me to a greater happiness. The more you start doing that, you, the more you start seeing that's true. And then, you know, the quality of that sense of purpose grows over time. So, but during the meditation, of course, you know, most of your effort is going into staying with the breath, staying with the body, cultivating the body. But every now and again, you have to remind yourself of your sense of purpose. So the classical metaphor that the teachings always give is if, you know, you're traveling on a road to a city, you know, you have to pay attention to the road that you're on and the traveling. If you're, you know, driving a chariot at the time of the Buddha or, you know, if you're walking or on your bike, uh, uh, you know, car, you know, whatever. Uh, but every once in a while, you have to remind yourself where you're going. You have to look up and say, okay, there's the city, and I'm headed in that direction. If you don't, you're never going to get there. 
you know? So every once in a while you look up, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm headed in the right direction. This is where I'm going. I'm headed to that city. If you don't do that, you know, I mean, I, you know, you, you, know, you want to go to New York and you'll end up in Boston. You know, most of us end up in Boston because we forget we're going to New York or we, you know, we want to go to Berlin, but we end up in Frankfurt, you know? I mean, you have, to, you have to know where you're going and you have to remind yourself and you have to go forward with that sense of purpose. So in the meditation, you have to align yourself with your sense of purpose and remind yourself where you're going, otherwise you're not going to get there. And you have to remind yourself why you're staying with the breath. So, in this life, you know, most of us, most of the time, uh, you, know, you know, and certainly myself included, uh, tend to rely on things uh, outside of our that are outside of our control for our happiness, or things that we have little control over. We rely on things that are unreliable for our happiness. We rely on things that are unpredictable. Now, most things in life are pretty unpredictable, uh, but what we're trying to do as, as Dharma students is rely on things that are less unpredictable. You know, we rely on things for our happiness that are very unpredictable, that are very unreliable, that really lie outside of our ability to control. You know? So we rely on the conditions of the world. You know, if the politics, if this, if that is the way that I want, I'll be happy. You know, those things are pretty unreliable, right? They're pretty unreliable. You know, this is another whole theme that, you know, you have to really start to understand how unreliable the things of the world are, the conditions of the world. You know, we rely on uh, the conditions of our lives. If it's our jobs or our relationships, we rely on other people. You know, things that are outside of our control for our happiness. So, well, if that person does this, I'll be happy. Things that we have very little control over. So, you know, this is something to pay attention to. What are you relying on for your happiness? Things that you have control over? How much control over those things do you have? What we learn to do, so, you know, we, we feel this, like, helplessness, right? I mean, most of us feel so helpless in life because, you know, we're looking to things to bring us happiness that can't possibly bring us happiness or that we have no control over. You know, so some days it goes well, some days it doesn't, you know, on the news or, you know, wherever in terms of other people. Uh, so, you know, what happens is, of course, you know, we, 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 you know, we have this capacity to shape our lives in support of our happiness by using the mind in a skillful way. By using the mind in a skillful way, we can know a great happiness, the greatest happiness that there is, true happiness, but we give that up. You know, that's our agency, but we relinquish it. We relinquish it, we say, and you know, and again, we don't maybe understand this. We say, well, you know, I have this capacity to shape my life through conscious intention by using the mind in a skillful way, but, and, and if I can do that, I'll be happy, but you know what, I'm gonna rely on these things outside of myself for happiness. You know, this is what we tend to do. Uh, so, you know, it's a process of shifting that paradigm. You know, through mindfulness practice, 
you know, we take back our agency. We say, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna use my mind uh, in a skillful way so that I can know happiness in this life. And I'm not gonna rely on these things that are really outside of my control. That, you know, will never really be able to bring me a lasting happiness. It doesn't mean that we don't live in the world, but we don't rely on the things of the world for our happiness. You know, that we have this potential for a great happiness in this life, but that's only going to come, or our capacity to know it is going to depend on what we do with the mind. That's the teaching of the Buddha. That's the teaching of the Buddha. You know, I mean, the Buddha had a lot of, I mean, he sort of had a very controlled environment where he had, you know, a lot of things that were really good as a prince, uh, but he really kind of understood that that was still outside of his control to a large extent, and it was very ephemeral and very unreliable. You know, and he said, it wasn't fitting for me to be looking for happiness in these things, you know, where as, when as a human being I had this potential for a greater happiness that I wasn't putting to good use. I was relying on the beautiful ponds and the, you know, and the, and the you know, the, the dancing minstrels and all that for my happiness. And he said, that, you know, I could do better than this. You know, that's the thing, you know, we can do better. We can do better. You know, the news today is going to be good. The weather's going to be just right. You know, my partner's going to do exactly what I want him or her to do, and I'll be happy. You know, we can do better than that. There's a greater happiness that we can know. You know, by, by shaping our lives, uh, by using our minds in a skillful way, by making conscious decisions in support of metta and compassion. And it begins with the breath. You know, that's where we begin to make these decisions. I'm going to put the mind on the breath. I'm going to cultivate an easeful breath using mindfulness. I'm going to keep the mind in the body. I'm going to stay close to the heart. I'm going to take action that comes from the heart. When we learn to do this, we learn to see that happiness is in our hands. We learn to see that we can shape our lives by using the mind skillfully, by putting the mind in the right places, by being proactive and purposeful. Yeah. I mean, this is what we, we learn to see how, that we can do this and how to do this. Now, this is why mindfulness is so extraordinary, you know, because gradually, little by slowly, we learn what mindfulness is, what right mindfulness is. We learn how to do it. We learn that we can do it. We learn the benefits of doing it. You know, and it's just, you know, the whole world opens up to us when we understand what mindfulness is and how to practice it. And we start to see that we can do it. We, re we, take, we, we learn that we have an agency that we didn't realize we had. We felt helpless in the world. I felt helpless. I wanted to change my life, you know, but I was doing it by trying to change the externals or by analyzing the mind. You know, that's sort of the interim stage. You know, we realize, you know, you know, the, you know, the problem has got to do with the mind, but we feel like I can change my life by analyzing the mind. I mean, that can be useful up to a certain extent, but ultimately, you can only change your life by using the mind in a skillful way. Mind is something that you have to use in support of the heart, in support of taking action and living in a way that's a reflection of compassion and loving kindness for yourself. So the only way that you really learn what mindfulness is and the power of mindfulness is through practice. It's through doing. It's like any other skill. It's any, but like any other skill. 
It's like for myself, you know, I've continued to learn, continued to understand how I can shape my life, how I can know a greater happiness by practicing right mindfulness. So we learn uh, that what we do with the mind is important. You know, mindfulness is a practice of learning to use the mind, and we learn that what we do with the mind is important. As I said, it's the most important thing. It's what will determine our happiness in this life, or our capacity to know a greater happiness than the happiness that we may be settling for. And that's why the Buddha said uh, in that passage that I, I posted last week, and I'll repost it again this week, be heedful, monks, mindfulness, virtue, virtuous, with your resolves well concentrated, look after your minds. <laughs>